Welcome to the Yellow Balloons Podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. We continue to examine Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The dream consists of four different civilizations, gold, silver, iron, and bronze, that represent the progression of human story. The nation of Israel, exiled in Babylon, has a unique part to play in this traditional progression of nations. God and his holy people are set apart and will not follow the same script. So today we come to really one of my favorite passages in the Bible. We set it up two times ago, and then Dave did chapter 3 of Daniel, and the, uh, what is it, uh, pool rack, tool shed, and the billy goat, the three, uh, the three, uh, Hebrew guys in the furnace, and we didn't really go into the interpretation of this dream. We just set up the the reality that the dream happened, and the fact that Daniel, his response to it was so amazing. So just to to kind of review chapter 2, coming up to the dream, the king had a dream, and he went to his advisors, Chaldeans and the magicians and the astrologers. He said, tell me my dream and what the interpretation is. And they said, no problem, what was your dream? And he said, no, you didn't understand me. You tell me the dream, then I'll know the interpretation is accurate. And they said, nobody can do that. He said, well, then I'm just going to get me a new set of counselors. And so he went to the captain of the guard and said, kill all the wise men. So they kind of start killing the wise men. They're slow rolling it, I think, hoping the king will kind of change his mind. Pretty rash. And Daniel asked the captain of the guard when the captain of the guard says, Hey, sorry, I'm going to have to kill you. So I'm not sure how that conversation goes. You know, what day are you available? Or I'm not, I'm not sure what exactly they're talking about. But he says, Well, why, why is this so hasty? This just sounds like something rash. What's the king up to? And he told him. And he appeals to the king. He's the appellate guy. This is the third appeal we've seen him do. And says, Give me some time. So he and Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego go and pray, and God gives Daniel the interpretation of the dream. So he goes into the king. He says, I've got it. I've got it. And the king says, that's great. He said, well, it's not me. Not me. I'm just the messenger. Well, what you need to understand here is that there's a true and living God. And an interesting thing here is that even though we've already seen that when the other wise men have a chance to knock somebody off that's in front of them, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with the fiery furnace and the statue thing, that then that's the culture there. You saw that last week. That's going to happen in chapter 3. And we'll see a little later that Daniel will have the lion's den episode when guys specifically try to set him up and knock him off. So you've got a culture where if you can get ahead by knocking somebody else off, you do. Daniel doesn't do that. He saves all the counselors and all the wise men. So we, we looked at... Daniel's amazing humility and his willingness to serve. And then we get to chapter 2, verse 31, and we get to the dream. Now, I love history, and I love understanding history, what happened, why it happened, what we can learn from it, and what we should do next. It's just totally fascinating to me. When we travel, I always want to go to some place where something significant happened. 
And for me, I can go to a place and talk to a guide and get a hundred times more out of the experience than if I read about it. Being there makes a big difference to me. So I've read about Waterloo, but when I actually went to Waterloo, I, I walked away with a, what I thought was a pretty concrete idea about what happened, why it happened. And if you read secular historians, you know, that's what they're doing. They say, you know, here's what happened, here's why it happened, here's what then they project going forward. But what we have here is God's tour here. We, God's going to give us a tour. Unfortunately, we're not actually in Babylon, which that would really be cool. That's the one place on earth I'd really love to go see. Love to go see the ruins and things. I guess they're even more ruined now. You know, we're going to get a tour of history right now. So verse 31, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. And its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. As Dave said last week, when we get to chapter 3, there's going to be this big statue that Nebuchadnezzar builds. And he wants everybody to bow down to it. And it could well be that that's one of the takeaways he got from this dream, that he's got this idea from the dream. Wrong application, though, as we'll see. So verse 36, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are his head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, then another A third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And, like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Well, here's what this dream is telling. And this is 600 B.C.-ish, sometime, sometime between 605 and whenever Nebuchadnezzar died, B.C. And the rest of history is being told. And, here, and here's what it is. Babylon is going to fall in 539 B.C. From the time of Nebuchadnezzar until the fall of Babylon, 
you only have about 66 years. And I think when Dave did the prelude to Daniel, he talked about the Persians, how they dammed up the river and went under the wall and just took Babylon in one night. And we're going to see that when we get to the, the handwriting on the wall chapter. We're going, to, we're going to see that happen. That's the night it took place. That's Babylon, and that's the head of gold. And then next comes the Persians. The Persians lasted around 200 years, the Medo-Persian Empire. It went from roughly 539 B.C. to 330 B.C. We know in the dream that the head of gold is Babylon. We know that because Daniel told us that. He said, you're the head of gold. You're, You're the king of kings. You're Babylon. We are going to see the Persians take over you know, in the next chapters of Daniel. So that's, that's fairly certain. And so the head of gold is Babylon, and the chest of silver is the Persians. And the next is going to come the Greeks, the bronze torso. The Greeks go from about 330 to 31 B.C., so about 300 years. That's certain, and we're going to see this in chapter 8 when we get there. He's actually going to say, this is Persia, and this is Greece. He's going to use a different thing than the statue. He's going to use animals, and he's going to say, this is what's unfurling. And he's, he's going to say, that's his Greece. He's going to actually name it as Greece. And it's going to be unmistakable because there's this furious goat that goes out and conquers the earth. And then he dies. And then four horns come out of the goat and spread over all the earth. And that's Alexander the Great's four generals. And that's exactly what happened. For about 300 years, the Greeks ruled the world. And interestingly enough, in chapter 8, it talks about the kingdom of God coming in the time of the Greeks. Whereas in this dream, in these, uh, with this statue, it talks about another time, the time of iron and clay. How can both be true? I think it's fairly easy to understand looking backwards. And it is because it's arguable whether Rome took over Greece or Greece took over Rome. Because Rome adopted all the Hellenistic approach to life and became the purveyor of Hellenistic thought throughout the world, even though Rome was the one that actually ruled the world. And Rome is the fourth kingdom. And Rome really probably took over fully from the Greeks about 31 B.C. And Rome goes all the way until today. Now, that surprises some people. You mean we're still in the Roman era? Oh, yeah. Uh, Go back to verse 44, and that's really cemented. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. That's really not very difficult to embrace. Just take into account uh, the reality that the Holy Roman Empire only dissolved in 1806, just about 50 years before our Civil War. Uh, The Holy Roman Empire was still going until right before that time. If you look at Rome and what Rome was like, you'll see Rome was a republic. And then the republic became a a tyranny. And then back to a republic again. There was this republic and power was dispersed. And great prosperity took place. And then the power started concentrating. And then there was an opportunity to get the power dispersed again. If you know much about American history, this is our, this cycles that we've already gone through this cycle multiple times. On the time of Franklin Roosevelt, there was wage and price controls. If you had a business, you could not even set your own prices. The government told you what prices to set. And then World War II came, and really that didn't work. So they had to disperse the power again so that they could win the war. And now we're in the process of the power being concentrated again. And if you're reading the papers at all, what you're seeing now is there's actually a, a civil war happening between the 
administrative state and people who are employed in the administrative state and who live under a regime where they can't be fired and they have sovereign immunity and they get to make laws, interpret the laws, execute the laws, and adjudicate the laws, meaning all three branches of government are vested in these people who are not accountable to anyone. So little surprise that they're rebelling against someone that says, I want to take your power away. And that's, it's, it's happening on the headlines today. Well, it's because we're Roman. It's just another cycle. It's what we do. But what about this iron and clay that it falls apart? Well, the Roman Empire did not ever get conquered, really. It's still around today. It just keeps breaking in pieces. You know, the Vandals came in and sacked Rome. They didn't defeat Rome. They just really sacked it. They ruined Rome's reputation. But all that meant is that Rome broke into pieces. And there's been this longing in the Roman world to reunite it. But it's still with us today. We have this big movement of globalism. We've just got to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. We can do it if we just all get along and do what I say. You know, that's, that's just, that's just all, all that it takes. Rome actually just fragmented. They just couldn't hold it together anymore. And that was about 450-something A.D. on the western side. But the eastern empire did not fall until 1453. It actually fell to the Turks, 1453. The Roman Empire, one of the legs, remember two legs, it's going to have two legs, east and west, right? And the eastern leg actually stood until 1453. So that's right around the time America's discovered. The western side, though, just keeps reconstituting and breaking into pieces. It was officially reconstituted on Christmas Day, 800 A.D., when Charlemagne, Charles the Great, was crowned king of the Holy Roman Empire. That's when they first said, okay, we're redoing the empire. So it wrote Roman Empire back in, Western Empire, Eastern Empire still going. But we want the Western Empire, now it's going again, but this time it's holy. So now what we have is we're going to uh, holyfy the emperor by having him crowned by the pope. So now we have a spiritual king, and the spiritual king gives authority to the earthly king, and now we have God's kingdom on earth again. If you read the pronouncements of Columbus when he's coming to America. You know, so this is 600 years later. The Holy Roman Empire is still going. He says things like, hey, all these people in the, in the Caribbean islands, they're going to make great servants of God because we're going to put them in the salt mines. You know, they've just been like living on the beach eating bananas. And we're, we're going to put them in the salt mines and that will be, make them great Christian servants of God. So what's the thinking? If you're a slave to the king, giving gold to the king, you're a servant of God because... The king's is God's region on earth. Nice, huh? Nice for the king. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.